Hear ye, hear ye, come one and all. Join us for a free introductory journey through occult theory and practice. Learn dazzling mysteries, occult sciences, and powerful spells. Heal the sick, curse your enemies, and attract the favor of that sexy human next door. All this can be yours absolutely free. All we ask is that you tune in every other week. Learn what you can and put it into practice. Some side effects may include stress relief, a new outlook on life, and a newfound obsession with small shiny objects. Tune in today. Welcome to the Fool's Guide to the Occult. I am Kevin. And I'm a Githyanki. I certainly hope not. Okay, sirrah, sirrah. Uh, all right. Uh, me and a Githyanki are going to talk about dreams in the astral realm today. Super dope. We are going to try to do an overview of astral projection, uh, out-of-body experiences, OBE, waking or lucid dreams, and talk about this concept known as the Akashic Records. We will probably also mention some stuff in passing like drug-induced disassociation, sleep paralysis, and dissociative mental disorders. But before we get started, I want to let everyone know about a little contest we're gonna hold we would like to redesign the cover art for the show it's uh, time it's time what we we're have serious yeah what we have now is <laughs> just something quick uh you know we threw together when we first started trying to get this whole show together and organized um but it, it's getting time for something a little more refined um and kevin's gonna talk to you a little more about that i am so Gentle listeners, we would like those of you who are interested and artistically inclined to redesign our cover art. Uh, so please keep in mind any submissions that you make to this will become our property, potentially our new logo. So here's how it'll go down in light legalese. If you decide to submit artwork to our contest, you also give us perpetual license to use your artwork for whatever purpose we'd like, including but not limited to advertising and to make money with, uh, without further compensation besides what I'll describe in a moment. We'll pick a new logo for the show from the submitted artwork based on whatever criteria we like in our sole discretion. Uh, if we don't select your artwork, we relinquish our license to your submission. If we do select your artwork, we retain that license, and in return, we will screen print you a one-of-a-kind t-shirt featuring your art. And Hector, I mean, Githyanki, and I will sign it and ship it to you. Uh, we'll also announce you on a subsequent episode of the podcast as a winner. And we'll make and send you some nifty Fool's Guide stickers. And maybe uh, some patches this, as well. Maybe some patches. We'll commit to pat. There will be patches. All right. I can we will commit patches. to patches. This is the entirety of the compensation we can offer. Uh, woof. Uh, legally is over. I just wanted to make sure everybody knows how this will go down before anyone submits anything. Yeah. And so just to clarify, Kevin, if I submit a logo to Google's yep. Guide and yep. you all don't select my my artwork, yeah, uh, I it's mine again, right? Yes. Okay. We relinquish that license that you granted us when you submit it. Awesome. Just wanted to clarify there. Yeah, uh, we are not keeping people's artwork if we're not going to use it. We wonderful. appreciate that you submitted it, 
but we're not going to be that guy and just keep license to your artwork without compensating you. Super, super. We will post the original artwork I did um, on the Fool's Guide community page, fellow travelers on Facebook, as well as on Instagram at Fool's Guide. Um, so I'll, I'll get like a you know clean image without the words and stuff on it for you guys, and you can look sure. at that and base it, you know, your artwork on that, or you can make something totally new and send it off to us. Um, we're really excited to see what you all come up with. We are super excited to see what you all come up with. And we appreciate you, gentle we do. listeners. We do. We appreciate you. All right. I guess that brings us to journaling. Let's talk about journaling. All right. Um, I had a funny feeling we were going to talk about journaling today. Yeah. We're kind of getting yeah. back to our like stuff we haven't done in a little while. Journaling. Back to our, our roots. Yeah. Back to our roots. Um. Anyway, I'll kick it off if you don't mind. Please. All right, so my spouse is gone for their annual two-and-a-half-month acting gig out of state, so I have a lot of time to myself. I've been trying to set myself up on a new routine of you know, working out in the mornings, doing yoga and meditation at night before bed. I was really good at this several years ago and doing some pretty hardcore yoga for about an hour every evening, but, you know, Stuff happens, life happens, habits break, and, you know, I'm working on rebuilding those back up again. Um, but in addition to all this, I've been doing some prep work for um, some ego magic, uh, sort of outlined in Condensed Chaos by Phil Hine, uh, and really chasing down some, like, personal demons, um, the goal being to transmute them into something more positive. Uh, my old method of dealing with this since basically... Maybe being a young teenager, like 13 or so, 14, um, was sort of a meditative process I used to go into this room in my mind, sort of like uh, that one character in Dreamcatcher by Stephen King that has that like library in his head. I think I'm the mentalist, sure. Yeah. Um, I built a place like this in my head when I was a kid, and there's a hallway in it, and in the hallway, uh, one of my personal demons is locked up in a small icy cell. Um, sort of like the sum of my hate and rage and probably some trauma. Um, but it's time for something different. And I think uh, transmutation is worth a try. So yeah, I'm, I'm getting myself ready for that work. Um, and that's like... Uh, it's like our composing your own magic episode. Yeah, an advanced version of that, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so I uh, hope if we keep doing this show, we'll be able to get to talking about some sort of that higher level stuff at some point, And maybe I'll have some, some report back on how this goes. Yeah. We'll have a, a working report perhaps. Yeah. That would, yeah. How it went down. I'm absolutely willing to share that. Fantastic. Thank you. Of course. Your uh, turn. I actually want to, yeah, man, I want to go back a couple episodes to when I was recounting an entry from my dream journal. Uh, maybe later on, we'll pick it apart for standard imagery and see if we can suss out what it might be implying. So if you'll recall, the dream was one where I was in a tornado basement, and everything felt, uh, I guess, kind of dreamlike to to be trite, uh, that kind of distant, foggy sort of feeling. Uh, there were cans of beans that were cube-shaped instead of cylindrical. Uh, my Uncle Dave said it was for easier storage. He said he was giving up on English because it doesn't have a word for snoring. And then I went outside into the dark, and I threw a javelin through a pumpkin. 
uh, I have a note in my journal that I woke up really terrified. Uh, we'll call back to this a little later on when we discuss dream imagery and interpretation. It's a good example. I haven't been able to pin it to any particular current or recent life events. So I think a standard imagery interpretation will give us the best shot of learning something from this super weird dream. That sounds fun. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. No, I'm I'm interested to yeah, pick no, apart your dream. <laughs> it's a it's a funky little dream. It is. It is. Oh, hey, and before we get started, diviners, your quest is active. It is. You diviners out there, give it a shot, see what you find. All right. We're talking about dreams. We're talking about dreams. In A Field Guide to Lucid Dreaming, a source we're going to come back to several times in this episode, and one that I'm really glad I found. This is a wonderful book, so if you're interested in lucid dreaming, I, I highly recommend it. Anyway, the authors describe dreams as, quote, a tapestry woven from personal symbols, archetypes, and waking life details. Dreams are one of the trippiest mysteries of modern science, right up there with quantum physics, in my opinion. We still don't really know what dreams are, why we have them. Some people have them in full color, others don't. Some people have them more often than others, or remember them more than others. Uh, We'll get into that later. Uh, Some people's dreams are hyper-realistic and include the full gambit of senses. Other people's dreams are impossibly strange and can involve... uh, flight or senses beyond human capabilities. Some people are uh, even able to control their dreams, which is called uh, becoming lucid or lucid dreaming or having a waking dream. Dreams themselves can last for anywhere from a few seconds up to roughly 30 minutes, uh, though they may feel to us as if they last a lifetime. The vast majority of dreams are forgotten soon after they end, though scientists who study sleeping um, and brain activity during it suggests that we have anywhere from three to, uh, I think I've read up to seven dreams a night. That's a busy night. It is. Yeah. In the field guide, they also suggest that everyone, whether they remember them or not, dreams about two hours a night, uh, which they calculate to about six years of dreaming for the average Westerner's lifespan. Uh, the interesting thing there is that there is no consensus on why we dream. The same book mentions the Freudian theory of wish fulfillment, though most modern psychologists dismiss uh, way more than half of Freud's theories these days. Um, They mention three other hypotheses in the field guide. Uh, The idea that dreams are a way for our brain to sort or refile information in our heads, sort of like like defragging an old hard drive back in the day. Hmm. Um, a safe space for rehearsing situations that might happen in the waking world, uh, or a bunch of gobbledygook that results from random neural firing while we're asleep. So while we don't exactly know why we dream, we do know that dreaming takes place during one of the various levels of sleep known as rapid eye movement or REM sleep, REM sleep. It is also sometimes referred to as paradoxical sleep or desynchronized sleep. This is a stage where our brainwave activity reads closest to that of the waking mind. So remembering your dreams can be tricky. Uh, Buckland and many others recommend trying to consciously program yourself 
to remember your dreams by telling yourself, I will remember my dreams before you fall asleep, which is in keeping with our statements of intent that we employed in uh, previous work. Absolutely. And we'll see these come up time and time again, these kind of uh, statements of intent or um, affirmation. Just sending a declaration out into the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that'll come up time and time again. Right. And then in terms of documenting your dreams, of course, you want to write them down, uh, ideally, right after waking up, uh, especially if you wake up directly from a dream, you want to write that down immediately because they go away pretty quick. They sure do. So it's probably good to have that journal right near your bed. And don't forget a pen or pencil. Yeah. Because if you have your journal next to your bed and no way to write in it, you're going to feel both very sleepy and very like a doofus. Buckland also claims that uh, more quote-unquote spiritually advanced people <laughs> uh, actively share group dreams. Um, I've never heard of this happening myself, but I'm sure there are people out there that claim that this is the case. He says this mostly happens when people are really in tune with one another or are on the same wavelength, but I feel like of people who are on the same wavelength, lovers are probably the closest thing to it. So you'd think we'd hear more about like shared dreams between romantic partners more often than not. I could be totally wrong, though. Maybe I live under a rock. We'll discuss this a little further. Uh, Silver Raven Wolf writes a bit about visiting people in, in their dreams and dream spaces. She so does. We'll talk about that a bit later on. I want to talk a bit about sleep paralysis. This is... Uh, a typically a super scary experience had by roughly eight to 10% of people at some point in their life. Uh, for some people, it's recurring. For some people, it might only happen once. This is not a supernatural experience. Uh, at one point, they used to call sleep paralysis being hag-ridden. Uh, it is a physiological phenomenon, however. Uh, it in, and while it was believed to be the result of evil witchcraft, uh, it isn't right. Physiologically, what is happening uh, is the individual um, either right before sleep or during the process of waking up is at a loss for motor function while experiencing heightened brain activity it can last for several seconds to a few minutes can involve all manner of dreamlike experiences. A positive one is like speaking to a dev dead loved one or speaking with an angel. But more often than not, you hear the scary ones. Watching the room change shape, watching creatures flow in and out of your vision. Yeah. Or while like, you're just uh, stuck there. I would also like go out on a limb and say that a large portion of uh, alien abduction stories are probably actually uh, people experiencing sleep paralysis. Or at least related to it. Or at least related to it. it. In the cases where people are like claiming to be abducted from their bed, right? Yeah. Or, you know, there's all there's all kinds of things people report. But the, this is a really terrifying, horrifying experience that a good For number of folks, people yeah. experience. Yeah, That's true. Uh, in addition to the inability to move, uh, there's often a sensation of being weighed down, especially on the chest, uh, as if someone or something were sitting on you. Uh, it's often accompanied by visual hallucinations, dreaming, uh, an overwhelming experience of terror, uh, similar to the sense of dread brought on by a severe allergic reaction or a real bad trip. Yeah. Um, phantom lights can be floating around in your vision. All sorts of weird stuff can happen. Sure. So let's evaluate. Why does our body do this to us? 
I mean, essentially, it's a glitch, right? Basically, your mind wakes up, but your body is still operating in dream mode, so to speak, or it's it's referred to scientifically as REM atonia. And uh, physiologically, you need to be paralyzed while you're dreaming. Otherwise, you might get up and walk around or fight your dog or roll off a cliff or something. Obviously, the opposite glitch happens sometimes. People sleepwalk or sleep talk or act out their dreams. Uh, Sleep paralysis is sort of the opposite end of that spectrum, Uh, but it's not all related to, or not at all related to occultism, which is kind of why we're bringing it up in this episode about dreams and it's like old name of being hag ridden. It's not a curse. It's not related to demonic activity or an evil magician or witch. It's a real issue that I don't really think is classified as a disorder. I'm not I'm not really sure. But it's a thing. It depends on the impact of your life. Yeah, I suppose that's true. It's a thing a lot of people live with. And some people dread going to sleep because it happens to them so frequently. But yeah, that's it in a nutshell. Well, uh, I think that's enough talking about not occult stuff in our occult podcast. Yeah. Uh, Let's go over some common dream tropes and their interpretations real fast. Sure. Uh, But first, I think I'd like to mention something that Buckland wrote in his complete book of witchcraft. Uh, He's talking about dream interpretation and quotes uh, Carl Jung. uh, And is that how you pronounce it? Jung? Jung? It is. Is it? Okay. Jung. All right. Uh, So he quotes Carl Jung and uh, then notes that uh, all so-called universal symbols have degrees of meaning. So Carl Jung did a lot of uh, psychological and occult work in relating to dreaming. And he kind of, uh, I mean, at the, the time term- he was practicing, they were kind of the same thing. Ish. 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 Yeah. He kind of coined the term archetypes. So if you ever heard of dream yeah. archetypes before that comes from his uh, man and his symbols and, and the related works to that. So anyway, they're according to Buckland and a lot of people really your universal symbols have these degrees of meaning. So even if a symbol is sort of universally recognized, which I'm actually not sure there is a symbol that is, it still has a degree of personal interpretation, like how right. your mind latched onto that symbol and has uh, interpreted it through socialization and whatever. Okay, so let's buzz through a few of these. Yeah, let's do it. Falling. You have a major life problem to work out. This manifests itself as being out of control, hence falling in your dream drama. Uh, Being chased in a dream. Uh, You need to confront your problems. Dying. It's like the death card in tarot. It's about needing a new beginning or starting down a new path. Uh, Going to work or school naked. Uh, tends to represent anxiety or vulnerability. Meeting a celebrity in a dream, basically desire for recognition. Uh, Showing up late to something, either you are trying to accomplish too much or you are too busy and not taking enough time for yourself. Losing your teeth represents either a loss of confidence or trouble in an interpersonal relationship. Uh, Dreaming about a close partner cheating. Uh, You have a lack of trust in your partner. You may wish to consider expanding your dialogue with that partner. Um, It's also pretty common to meet someone you know in real life in a dream. Uh, People will often say stuff like, I had a dream about you the other night. Uh, According to Silver Ravenwolf, if you were doing ordinary or silly things in the dream, it was probably just them working through something in their memories of daily life. If you offered them wisdom or helped them with a problem, the two of you may actually have met on the astral plane, which we'll discuss in a bit. Yeah, we will. And 
that comes back to the whole Buckland and shared dreaming thing. And I think what I was trying to point at there is like, I don't think there are many situations where two people have come together and said, Hey, I had this dream about you last night. Oh, I had this dream about you last night too. And the same exact occurrence happened. But anyway, and that can be explained as like you inhabiting some avatar in a dream or whatever it is. Sure. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know either. If you, I'd be interested to read stories about it. Anyway, sure. so let's let's break this down a little bit. We've gone through a little bit of kind of tropey dream imagery stuff. Uh, how about we each go through a particular dream and we'll see what we can pick out of it? Yeah, I have a really good one. And I don't know if I've told this story on the show yet or not. It's it's kind of like a, a one that's really stuck with me throughout my life. Maybe I have, maybe I haven't. But anyway, I was in high school, junior, okay. senior year. It's really hard to remember. And I had this dream of my dead uncle who was playing with one of his two kids, one of my cousins. And he was like climbing all over him and wrestling with him and whatnot. But anyway, uh, my uncle was offering me all this wisdom about life and things I don't consciously recall to date. I assume that lives somewhere in that hard drive in my skull somewhere. But as I started to wake up and everything, you know, got blurry and drifted away, he pulled me back in, not with like his body or anything, but like his energy somehow. It's the only way I can really describe it. Uh, But anyway, he pulls me back in and the thing he says is he says, tell her not to worry about the hospital thing. It'll be fine. And then I woke up uh, to my alarm going off. And so, you know, I got ready for school. When I got there, I got to the cafeteria where my clique hung out before class. Uh, My girlfriend was there freaking out because uh, her sister had gotten bitten by an animal. Her sister was either in veterinary school at the time or was actively working as a vet tech. I don't really remember. Um, But she got an infection and was in the hospital. And I told her about my dream. Uh, Obviously, it didn't help, but it was pretty uncanny that like... I had this dream, woke up, went to school, and it directly related to something that was happening in my life. It was immediately relevant. It was immediately relevant. And obviously, uh, not obviously, uh, but her sister ends up being totally fine. Right. So good work, dead uncle. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah. Good work. So let's see what we can pick apart from that. Things in the dream that are standard imagery. Uh, Meeting somebody you know or you knew in real life. That's a thing. Totally. Uh, that was that was a thing other than that not much so like there wasn't um it was like in a void it existed in in black space so Mm. i assume my cousin was there to make me feel comfortable the imagery of my cousin because seeing a dead person in your dream even if they didn't look like a dead person would be pretty kind of frightening right pretty super weird now they said it could also be that your concept of your uncle just inherently involved him playing with your cousins that's possible yeah absolutely because they were always like horsing around with each other so yeah yeah that could just be the the schema into which those people fit right yeah okay sure that's pretty cool yeah uh i want to i want to head back to my my weird uh there's no such word in the english language as snoring thing um first of all there is and it's snoring there is and i was telling you guys last time uh, that this was an actual story about that uncle uh, who has a long history of sleep talking. And there was one point where he was snoring real bad, like a truck downshifting on the highway. And my aunt tried to nudge him awake. And she said, Dave, you're snoring. And still asleep, he turns over and says to her, 
there's no such word in the English language. And then he turned back over and resumed snoring. <laughs> so that is relevant. Cool. The the dream begins with me in a in a darkened tornado basement. And I feel like that's like an enclosed space thing that we can play on. Yeah, enclosed spaces are usually kind of scary, but often I feel like a lot of the dreams I've had are in some kind of enclosed space. I can't remember many dreams where I have been out in the open, save for maybe a handful. Sure. I feel like it was, it was, um, it didn't feel oppressive. It was more comfy. Oh, well, that's nice. So maybe we'll, we'll say that this was more like a scope limiter as opposed to a scary enclosed space. Uh huh. Um, and there were cans of beans that were cube shaped instead of cylindrical, which was apparently, uh, for the purpose of easier storage. Although I'm not sure how a can opener would be able to open the cans. Maybe they had pull tabs and it was circular inside the you I, know, like the top. Okay. I don't remember examining them. So that's a possibility. Yeah, kind of like spam, uh, you know, spam's like a rectangle. Could be spam, like, but they they all said beans. Sure. I'm just thinking like the can top, but right. not relevant. Anyway. Maybe they were like a bean loaf. Who knows? I don't know if there's going to be imagery to pick out in the weird cube-shaped cans. I don't know. What hit me the last time we talked about this on a previous episode was the throwing the javelin through the pumpkin. Yes. What do you get out of that? I remember going outside into the dark and throwing a javelin like across a grassy lawn through a pumpkin Yeah. that was like up on a post. What possessed your dream self to murder a giant squash? I don't know. I really love Halloween, and Uh maybe that was like... I'm a tackle Halloween. Okay. All right. That could be a thing. Although, in all fairness and honesty, I have decorations. I have not put them up. Things have been busy. Yeah, me either. But hey. I should do that. Yeah. That's tomorrow. Man, we should have done like a Halloween. Uh, like a Samhain episode. Sawen and like uh, Dia de los Muertos and all that jazz. Is it pronounced Samhain? Uh, that's how I've always heard it pronounced. S-A-M-H-A-I-N. Yeah, and that's how uh, the Wiccan folk singer Alexander Alexander James Adams pronounces it in his songs. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I've only seen it written. I've never actually heard it out loud. Yeah, yeah. And you know what happens when you learn a word by reading it? Yes. You typically mispronounce it real, real bad. Yeah. That's, yeah. I've gotten gotten in trouble for that as well. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Should we move Uh, forward? We should. Is there anything else that we can take from this? I don't Aside from know. my commitment to the ideals of Halloween. I, I don't may, think so. I don't think so. I don't know. <laughs> so, gentle listeners, uh, I may have overpromised in terms of how good an example this dream might have been. It's a fun one, nonetheless. It is. It's, it's fun. I remember waking up terrified. I don't know why. Hmm. It's because you committed pumpkin murder. I must have. Squash aside. <laughs> you squished a squash brutal squash squooshing Mm. shall we move ahead we shall so um many cultures throughout time believed that dreams could be prophetic uh sumerians ancient egyptians uh the ancient egyptians thought that dreams were a direct connection uh to the spirit world though yeah but let's come back to that at a later point when we're talking about astral travel because i think it okay connects yeah that's more fair. directly yeah um greeks and romans made spiritual connections with dreams believing that they were divinely inspired by the gods and could be prophetic uh the god hypnos was responsible for sleep and his son morpheus was the ruler of dreams Indeed, they also had like dream temples and stuff, and so did the Egyptians, which is kind of cool. That's pretty cool. Like, a place where you would go to like induce dreaming or like have 
try and have like connect with dream like spirit world like a dream activity center yeah pretty much yeah yeah one that i find particularly fascinating is uh hinduism uh in hinduism according to some things i've read anyway all of life is vishnu's dream and when that dream ends so does the universe in a sort of disjointed kind of way it reminds me of the end of men in black where they finally save the galaxy you know that little galaxy around the cat's yeah. and everything pans out and the whole universe is a marble um being played with you know in a giant sea of marbles by this massive alien on a beach somewhere yep yeah i used to think about stuff like that when i was tripping a lot when i was younger like what if the all of existence is a neuron firing in the brain of some giant being somewhere else there's a ball on the necklace of some hyperdimensional cat yeah, crazy stuff. Man. Necklace isn't the word. I think the word is collar. That escaped me for a moment. I mean, a collar is a necklace, right? I guess it's a cat necklace. I don't know. What do you call it? Is a uh, a BDSM collar not a necklace? Dude? That's still a collar. But what if you yeah. wear it for fashion? It's still a collar, like taxonomically. All right. I guess that falls into the larger category of necklace. I don't think this is productive. <laughs> Forward we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> according to a field guide to lucid dreaming uh the tibetan dream yogis actually laid a lot of the foundation of the lucid dreaming practice uh, and had a set list of goals to accomplish during their waking dreams uh, among many first peoples sharing dreams is a common morning activity uh, they're often considered prophetic uh, and can help guide an individual as well as a community at large yeah, in A Field Guide to Lucid Dreaming, uh, the first people's nations that they specifically talk about are the, the, the Iroquois, or the, the Iroquois, okay. um, which uh, technically, so that's the French word for them. If I memory serves, it's uh, Haudenosaunee is the, the proper name for them. I was going to say, I thought Iroquois was, uh, was a conference of nations. Uh, that's the Iroquois Confederacy, uh-huh. um, which includes the five tribes of the Northeast and I could recite them, but that's not important at the time. Was one of them Oconomowoc? Because that's a great word. Uh, no, I'll just do it. It's uh, Mohawk, Seneca, Onondaga, Cayuga, and the Haudenosaunee, or the, the Iroquois. Okay. Um, also, the other one of the, the first peoples that share their dreams that uh, they mentioned in the book was um, uh, the Australian... Um, Native people. Ah, yep. What's the right way to address them lately? So, historically, people have called them Aborigines, and I don't think that's the correct. I don't think it is either. And so, maybe like uh, Australian Indigenous. I don't know. He... We wish to be sensitive. We are undereducated. I think First Peoples is presently the best way to address um, the original pre-colonial populations of places presently. Okay. First peoples, first nations. Yes, correct. Anyway, as Christianity took over the Western world after, you know, the late Roman period and eventually the fall of Rome, dreaming became seen as something that was evil. Um, People were told that divine experiences only came from the church and that the devil was responsible for dreams. I suspect this is because a lot of people have like sex dreams and the church wanted to kind of like clamp down on human sexuality and keep us a little. Yeah. Because, you know, this is very church or easier to control. This is very early church typical, y'all. Anywho. Is it fun? Well, Jesus didn't send it. 
<laughs> I don't know. I still think in that lost part in the Bible, like that middle part between uh, baby Jesus and adult Jesus, that like teenage Jesus, he was getting the up. The book of Jesus spanking it in the alleyway behind a restaurant or something. Totally up to some shenanigans. I almost Absolutely. promise you. Jesus was having some wild times. All right. We've ticked the heresy box for this episode. Got to do it at least once. Fantastic. Moving on. Waking dreams and lucid dreams is where we're at. Waking dreams and lucid dreams. Well, this is a state where the dreamer becomes self-aware in the dream. Uh, If you've never seen the film Waking Life, this is the entire plot of the film. If you haven't, uh, maybe go watch it after listening to this episode. It is artistically beautiful film centered around lucid dreaming and existentialist philosophy. It's it's a good one. Yeah, it's a great film. Have you ever had a lucid dream? Uh, probably back in high school. Yeah, I think the only lucid dreams I ever had, I had one in high school and then I had one uh, early years in college. The one I had in It's never school. been something I targeted. Like this branch of the occult has never been one that I really focused on. Yeah, um, it wasn't one I focused on e- either. The lucid dreams I had were entirely accidental. Um, okay. And since I picked up this book, I'm going to try and go through the process and like train myself to lucid dream. But um, cool. yeah, I'm really interested in playing with it. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I had a lucid dream once where I managed to do the spin thing to like they say, if you're waking up from a lucid dream, if you spin in circles that you can pull yourself back in it for a few moments. I flew once in a dream and then I had a a lucid dream in college where I was working in my dad's restaurant in his pizza kitchen and um, I walked out to give something to the bartender and she said something and I was like, no, I'm dreaming. And then I like left and flew around and had fun for a while. It was good. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so much of our information on this section of the episode, uh, comes from a field guide to lucid dreaming by, I'm going to butcher these guys' names, uh, Trucio, Zazel, and Pazel, and their website, dreamlabs.io. We deeply apologize for butchering your names. Yeah, your book is wonderful. Um, it is. I'm just bad at pronouncing words, I guess. <laughs> yep. Uh, so anyway, they use the word... I'm going to mispronounce this too. It's going to be oneronautics. Oneronautics. Thank you. Oneronautics. Which basically translates to dream sailing to describe. It's a super cool word. It is a super cool word to describe uh, basically regular lucid dreaming. Uh, In the introduction to their book, they discuss researcher Keith Heron and his work in the late 70s to scientifically prove that we can come consciously aware of our from within our dreams and and become lucid uh so we know that during sleep the body is in a a state called sleep atonia uh, paralyzed as we discussed earlier Uh, but two parts stay active your diaphragm because you got to breathe and your eyes Uh, they hypothesized that if the sleeper's eyes were moving they were probably dreaming something we now call the state of rapid eye movement or REM sleep Uh, But the strange part was that they agreed that when the patient became lucid, they would move their eyes left to right eight times to signal they were dreaming. This apparently happened, uh, and the electroencephalogram, or EEG test, uh, confirmed that the subject's brain activity was in a state of sleep at the time. Uh, A few years later, the experiment was repeated. Uh, It was conducted at Stanford, 
uh, by Stefan Laberge as work for his doctoral dissertation. So this is, in fact, reviewed. It is. Uh, so according to this book, when you become lucid, you have full conscious memory um, and you can use like your logical thinking faculties and you're basically you, but in dreamland. Having only had a couple dreams in my life where I flew around and you know stuff like that, I can't really verify this, but I knew a guy in college who claimed he lucid dreamed almost every single night and could like visit people he wanted to see. He could like open a door and you know, control what was behind it. He would like think before he opened the door and wherever he wanted to go would be there or people he wanted to see would be there. He even claimed he could like manifest uh, objects like energy objects or physical objects within his dream, which is something they talk about later in the book too, which is kind of cool. But all this seems really incredible. And in the, in the book, they relate it to um, like uh, they relate lucid dreaming to constructed reality, um, kind of like, in the cinematic trilogy, The Matrix. So the dream world is, as they say, a, a projection of your mind. You have like absolute control over that because according to dream logic, you can just decide things about the world. Right, yeah, and it's so because it's all in your head, right? It is. We could go, we could do a much deeper dive into this book and lucid dreaming in general, um, but we have other topics to do in this episode. So, you know, we might revisit this again in a year or so. But uh, remember, the first 20 or so episodes of this podcast are are getting your feet wet. And then we'll go out into the uh, get out of the pool and, you know, dive down in the ocean and see what lurks beneath. Yeah. To mix metaphors, we will go out of the frying pan and into the ocean. Uh, so the process of becoming lucid in a dream. Uh, according to the Complete Psychonauts Field Manual by the arch trader Blue Fluke, uh, keep a dream journal and interpret the symbolism your brain is throwing at you. You can use your cultural or religious understanding of symbolism to do this or buy a book on the topic. As you fall asleep, as we mentioned, you set the intention, I will remember my dreams tonight uh, and repeat it as you fall asleep. Yeah, and... um. More specifically, if you want a lucid dream, and they talk about this in the, in the setting intention section in the, the lucid dreaming book, is change that around to, I will uh, have a lucid dream tonight, or I will, I will be, be aware in my dream tonight. I will be aware in my dreams, or I, yeah, something like that. Yeah. And you just like metaprogramming yourself to to have that happen. You're priming the pump, as it were. Yeah. You can learn specific methods of dream interpretation used by psychologists. One of the w most well-known is Carl Jung's method. You can learn Jungian dream interpretation with a few good Google searches. You could also just like take a dive into Jung's ideas, as I have, by you know picking up some of his books or papers that he's written, um, especially those related to dream interpretation and archetypes. It's interesting to note, as we will likely come back to Jung in future episodes, that he was involved in the occult, as we mentioned before, even as a scientist and psychologist, although a lot of his later work kind of dives into alchemy pretty heavily. It does. Uh, so the more often and the better you do uh, of keeping your dream journal, the more vivid and the more frequent your dream recall will get. This is a practicable skill. It practicable. is. Practicable, practicable, learnable. It's an improvable skill. Yes. So here's a, a method some people mention, and 
I don't know if I personally would do this, but people do. You can set an alarm to wake yourself up after about five hours and then go back to sleep. And if you keep doing this, supposedly you'll have a higher chance of becoming lucid. But our authors in a field guide to lucid dreaming recommend just setting intention. So, you know, programming your brain and repeating that uh, I will become lucid or I will become aware of my dreams, sort of like a mantra in your head as you start to drift off to sleep. Some people mention that laying on your back with your hands at your sides is best. I find that is actually sort of the best way for doing a lot of work um, that I do laying down. Um, Your muscles are just more relaxed in this position. Um, I don't find it particularly comfortable at all. I do any groundwork on my side. Uh, but then my lungs are terrible and I have a CPAP machine, so I can't really just lay dead on my back. It doesn't work right. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, There is a bunch of stuff I've heard here and there about things to look out for while dreaming. And basically, uh, you have to train yourself throughout waking life so that these things become second nature when dreaming. Uh, But here are a few like inception style things for you to think about. Yeah, if you ever look at a digital clock and can't read it, you're probably dreaming or else you're in a foreign country that for some reason doesn't use Arabic numerals like, I guess, China or Japan. Sure. Although they might on their clocks. I don't know. Uh, some people say you should tell yourself as you fall asleep, next time I dream, I will realize I am dreaming. And this is supposed to help trigger conscious awareness during the dream state. Uh, but in a field guide to lucid dreaming, the authors mention that you should regularly question your reality and ask yourself if you are dreaming, even while you're awake. Absolutely. And one of the the triggers they use for that is they have compasses. And they have a compass in the beginning of the book where they mention that thing. And the compasses are throughout the book. So you're supposed to like train yourself. So whenever you see a compass to question your reality. And so through the process of reading the book, you're constantly questioning whether you're awake or not. Developing those habits. Yeah, exactly. Um, a recent one that was told to me was to push your finger into the palm of your other hand and if it goes through your dreaming. And I really like this one because it's one you can practice throughout the day, like all the time, unlike the, you know, flicking the lights on and off one. So like there's one that says every time you walk into a room, flick the lights on and off. And if the lights don't change, you're in a dream. But like if you live or work in an office building or like I work in a school, I can't just like walk into a room and flick the lights on and off like, Hi, staff. You, Hold you on. Got to check, check if I'm dreaming or not. As long as you don't tell people why you're doing it, you might be able to get away with it for a while. <laughs> Maybe I could just tell them and they get a laugh out of it. I don't know. Hey, guys, I'm just checking to see whether I'm awake. Flip, yep. flip. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, I like the pushing your, your finger into your palm one because you could do that all the time. Wherever you are. Wherever you are. You're always carrying your finger in your palm. Unless you're never equipped with either. Right. Basically, you're looking for any inconsistency in your dream experience that can trigger you to realize you are dreaming. So simply asking yourself throughout the day, am I dreaming, is a a functional way to go about this. This is, again, sort of a a self-programming technique. You get in the habit, and then while dreaming, it may come up and help trigger a lucid experience. Absolutely. Another one I actually recently just realized on my own and I want to share with everyone is uh, if you use pattern lock on your smartphone or for some reason, you know, you find yourself not being able to unlock your phone or there are more or less dots than usual, you're probably dreaming. Uh, This is one we like practice all day every time you pick up your phone and you unlock it. And if you realize that, hey, why is my pattern not working? Maybe you should think if you are asleep. Maybe. So what is really the point 
of becoming lucid while dreaming? Like, what's the draw? All right. So some cultures believe when you are dreaming, you are actually in a reality that's more real than the physical world. The Egyptians believed that. The ancient Egyptians believed that. And we'll get to that later. Um, or that you are in um, some kind of spiritual plane. But aside from like the astral projection-y stuff that we'll talk about in a little bit, it's just fun. There's no specific occult benefit really you can think of it sort of like reprogramming light it's a little operating system recoding practice or learning how to manipulate your habits stuff like that but really technically inclined it's like changing your path variables yeah like it just includes more stuff in your standard experience yeah absolutely um there's no specific spiritual or occult purpose to lucidity um these practices do lend a bit however to astral projection which we're going to talk about soon some cultures a bunch now we better talk about it yeah 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 (laughs) some cultures like i said believe it's uh, a form of spiritual travel um so i guess it's really up to your interpretation um your own experience and beliefs oh uh i almost forgot before we move on if you become lucid and you feel yourself waking up um, there are a few different things you can do. I think I mentioned this earlier, actually. You can spin in circles is one of them. Yeah, you did. It just keeps you in the dream state for a little bit longer. Uh, I think it's time yeah. for uh, an interlude. Let's have an interlude. That's yeah, we haven't had an interlude in let's ages. Have, let's have an interlude. So this week's show uh, is dum da dum brought to you by the Page of Pentacles. Right side up, the Page of Pentacles represents manifestation, financial opportunity, skills development. Upside down, the Page of Pentacles represents a lack of progress, procrastination, or a need for you to analyze and learn from failure. Indeed. Good work, the Page of Pentacles. Thank you for your service. (laughs) And with that. With that, let's talk about out-of-body experiences. Do let's. It's like uh, astral projection light. You want to kick it off? Yeah, out-of-body experiences, OBEs, are pretty fascinating. Uh, There have been accounts of people having them all over the world since ancient times. Uh, According to SRW, out-of-body experiences are sometimes referred to as soul travel. Uh, And she points out that the Tibetan word for it translates to those who returned from beyond. Uh, Since ancient times, there has been this idea that when individuals travel out of their body, they're still connected or tethered by a silver cord. This is where me being a Githyanki comes in. Yeah, I, I got that. <laughs> Gentle listeners, if you didn't get that, that's a shame. It's a Dungeons and Dragons reference. It's super I'm a is. nerd. Yeah. <laughs> All right. OBE or out of body experiences really covers a wide range of things from people seeing themselves from outside their body while clinically dead, which we call NDEs or near death experiences to dissociative disorder where people may feel disconnected from their body or more horrifying actually see whole other selves which is i guess referred to um as seeing one's doppelganger sometimes this dissociative experience can be produced by drugs like barbiturates and sometimes psychedelics srw Uh, says that you can have this experience consciously and intentionally, which is a skill that can be trained and is called astral projection, which we'll talk about in a bit. It can also happen completely spontaneously. Yeah, it can just come out of nowhere. Uh, Apparently, the experience is very wildly uh, from just seeing another place to feeling as if you're physically present in that place. 
uh, according to SRW, they can happen at varying degrees of consciousness, from daydreaming to meditation, sleep during times of great stress or sickness. Uh, she also says that sometimes people will be in a place that seems familiar but a little off, like a strange astral double of the physical realm, or it might be an entirely alien world. If I'm not mistaken, spirit travel is a huge element of some shamanic traditions where visiting other worlds or planes of existence is sort of like a a crucial element to meeting spirit guides or other beings that assist you in your work or give sure. you... Uh, uh, holy songs or rituals and things to practice or business advice business advice uh yeah. have you ever had an out-of-body experience um i don't know about a full out-of-body experience now but i pretty frequently experience the sensation of i'm gonna call it autopilot at work or when i'm at home doing something repetitive uh it feels like i'm about six feet above and behind my head just looking at myself as i go through my day it's it's very surreal uh, and everything gets faintly fuzzy quality to it. It's kind of nice. Uh, I tend to feel very slightly rested up after these little episodes. Uh, they last anywhere from five minutes to half an hour. And my body just keeps doing the things that it does. Just normal day-to-day things. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. You? Um, y- yes. Um, but I want to come back to it a little later after we talk about uh, astral projection. Sure. Uh, so does remote viewing qualify as an OBE? I don't know. The idea with CRV or controlled remote viewing is that you are extending your consciousness beyond your physical body to try and perceive information about like a target. Um, it's sometimes also referred to as bilocation. Um, I used to actually practice this back and forth with a friend in college using Ingo Swan's book, Penetration. At least I, I, I'm pretty sure it was Penetration. Um, we only got sort of like vague hits, um, lacking consistency or substance, um, just like the FBI and CIA did when they were working with like MKUltra and Stargate and all that. I don't um, think they got anything above statistics. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. It depends on which studies you read and, and which yeah. reports you read and y- who you talk to. Um, okay. Yeah. So much of that is like redacted and blacked out. But- yeah. Who the fuck knows? I never had any kind of uh, out-of-body experience with this. When we were practicing it, it was, like, meditative. So, like, uh, okay. the person would put, like, a, a vase in a room in their house, and you're, you know, like, a couple miles away, and you, like, get in a meditative state and try and clear your mind. And you, you know, we'd both been to each other's house, so we'd, like, kind of they'd give you a slight amount of information and then you would try and transport your consciousness there and put your hand to paper, sort of like automatic writing and kind of draw something and write a few notes. And like I said, we got like real vague hits. I tried real hard to follow astral projection texts and pull myself out of my body all through middle school and high school and into college and years of trying and I, I just couldn't do it. I got like a physical tightness on my skin and a little buzzing, but never pulled myself out until this one time that, like I said, we'll talk about later. That's a bummer. Uh, before we get too into methods of astral projection, should we talk a bit about the astral realms and the Akashic record? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, the astral realms, according to the Watkins dictionary of magic, the astral double is defined as the metaphysical double of the human body. Uh, It's often seen as the embodiment of consciousness. 
It is a luminous energy form with the ability to pass through solid material. Some believe this form separates from the physical body at death and passes into the astral plane. In A Field Guide to Lucid Dreaming, the authors discuss the ancient Egyptian belief that the soul, called the Ba, traveled consciously outside the body during sleep. But uh, interestingly, their word for sleep uh, was Reswat, or Resut. Res, I think uh, it's... Resut? Resut? Yeah. Resut. I, I think. It translates to awakening, the hieroglyphic being an open eye. Uh, so the ancient Egyptians had specific temples for practicing this form of dreaming, as we mentioned, and believed that the dream world was more real than our waking world. So in ancient Egyptian divination and magic by Harris, uh, it describes Ka as the double of the self. Ba existed within Ka and is thought of as the soul body. Uh, And there are a whole bunch of others we don't need to go into now. There's like nine in total. But it is interesting that the ancient Egyptians had these concepts some 5,000 odd years ago. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. And I really think that, like we talked about in our episode on taxonomy, that a lot of stuff from our our earliest civilizations, like settled civilizations, the Mesopotamians and the ancient Egyptians um, and uh, like ancient India and ancient China are really make like the foundation of like most of our world religions is really interesting and definitely of modern occultism. The Watkins Dictionary of Magic also defines the astral plane as the plane of existence separate yet parallel to the physical realm. This is believed by many occultists to be the first plane of existence entered uh, by um, someone leaving the physical plane after death. Like when your soul or whatever you believe departs your body, it passes through the astral plane um, on its way to whatever plane of existence or world or, you know, through the bardo to reincarnate. Um, However you want to, whatever terms you want to use to define that. Um, but generally it's agreed upon that it is inhabited by some kind of spiritual beings, spirits, angels, entities of some kind. Um, the astral double can travel there and may pass through it. Okay. Uh, so with those two things in mind, uh, astral projection or spirit walking is separating the conscious astral form from the physical form to wander about in the astral realms. Intentionally, right? Right. On purpose. Um, on purpose, which we will get into a, a little bit of a description on in a bit. And that's your stuff to practice for this week. That and it like is. the lucid dreaming, dream journaling stuff. Um, but before we get there, there's one other thing I want to talk about, and that's the Akashic Records. Yep. So supposedly in astral space somewhere, there's this place referred to as the Akashic Records. It's defined by the Watkins Dictionary of Magic as the astral memory of all events, thoughts, and emotions that have arisen since the world began. Some people claim this is the source of information received during scrying, or the the place where that uh, information is received from, and other forms of divination. The American diviner and psychic Edgar Cayce, who we talked about in a bit in our episode on divination, um, claimed to have been able to tap into this space, and that's where he got a lot of his uh, prophecies and information from. Okay, uh, and you mentioned at one point you had a story about experiencing something like the Akashic Records. Yeah, do we want to go into that? Yeah, why not? All right, so it took me a long time to really process this experience, and I had it my second year in college in the fall. 
And in the summer, I had a friend interview me, audio record, because I wanted to get down as much of the information as I could before I forgot it all because it was starting to slip away from me. Okay. But I'll give you the short rundown because I actually wrote this up into a formal essay that I want to include in a book I'm writing on the occult at some point in time. Okay. Yes, I have three running books I'm writing simultaneously. But they'll be released when they're released. Indeed. The short and sweet of it is this. I... My LSD supplier had dried up um, and I was getting ready to move to Hawaii. So I had start to a story. It's the perfect start to a story. (laughs) Uh, So I'd purchased this book called uh, the encyclopedia of psychoactive plants by uh, Christopher Ratzich. And it is, as it says, an encyclopedia of all the known plants with psychoactive properties in it. I searched for plants that I might find when moving to Hawaii. Nice. And one of those was um, Hawaiian baby wood rose, which the active component in it is uh, LSA, which is a precursor to LSD. And so I scoured the internet, found a place where I could buy uh, Hawaiian baby wood rose seeds. Of course you did. My brother and I ate eight of them each, which um, might have been a bit too much. You're not that big a dude. No, I'm not. Yeah. So it was a little high, high of a dose for me. That, that um, might have been. We also smoked a whole gram of Northern Lights, like straight to the dome. So you guys went to the moon, is what you're telling me. Yes. Uh, the first half of my trip was horrible. I felt like the sun was inside my stomach, and I just couldn't get that like burning heat out. So I was like chugging water and puking it up, which was crazy. Um, but ultimately, um, after like the the painful rise to the top. Uh, I ended up leaving, going back, walking back to uh, the place I was staying at the time. And I was staying in a basement with no windows in the room I was in, which was perfect. I went in there, shut the door, shut the lights off, crawled in my bed. And so this is really crazy. And this was a lot of my early tripping experiences. And I realized later on that most people are terrified of doing this. But I would trip real hard. And like go in a dark, quiet space, almost like sensory deprivation, and just like go into my own head. Um, okay. This specific time, I close my eyes and I go in this space, and it's like all these green and red pulsing, kind of, uh, I don't know, like undulating, sort of vine like shapes I see. And then eventually I find myself shooting through this jungle real fast, real fast, like moving, like flying through this jungle. And then, bang, I end up in this, like, giant stone corridor that I can only really describe as being uh, similar to, uh, was it, the Mines of Moria? Okay. Is that the, the first Lord of the Rings where they're... Yeah, that was, yeah. That was under uh, Caradras. Yeah, where they meet the Balrog. That's yes. the place, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, that giant hallway, the way they showed it in the movie, where there was just all these giant stone pillars, and it looked like it went on forever in all directions... And I was sort of being guided through it by some kind of presence. And anytime I would turn down one of the pathways to the left or the right, I would be bombarded by just like raw information, like blinding light and pictures and sounds and all this just information, just bam, 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 drilled into me. It was really, really intense. And so I'm sure it was. I, the, the Akashic Records is the, the closest thing I can use as a metaphor for what I experienced on that journey. Okay. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was yeah. fucking scary too. But I'm sure cool. it was. Yeah. So let's talk a bit about methods of astral projection and spirit walking. 
Yeah, uh, so despite repeated mentions that astral travel is 100% safe, SRW does still suggest purifying your room with blessed water and salt before experimenting with astral projection. Yeah, you know, just in case you meet the Yellow King or something like that. I hope we never do. <laughs> right? Uh, more importantly, I think, uh, is her recommendation that you choose to do this uh, at a point in space-time where you will not be disturbed on the physical plane. Yep, uh, agreed. She goes on to talk about conditions, and really the only conditions are not being disturbed, and being comfortable, like temperature, clothes not too tight, so forth. I like my room to be somewhere between like 65 and 70 degrees, and I sleep completely naked, so clothes have not ever been a problem. All I right. must, however, be surrounded by on all sides by pillows or lovers, either way. Okay, just like a pile of them curled up? The pillows like, or lovers? <laughs> can they like? Can the lovers be in pillowcases? Is that a thing? Hopefully not in the pillowcases. I mean... What could they be, though? I mean, if they wanted to, okay. I suppose. I guess I really haven't evaluated that. I would be Isn't so toast. Be- I would I would overheat immediately if I was surrounded by other humans. Oh, I don't know. Depends on the situation. No, yeah, it's cool. Uh, SRW says that uh, for your first astral trip, you should hang out in the room you're in and not try to venture too far. Once you get the hang of it, then you can play around out there somewhere. Uh, and the steps, we love steps. The steps are as follows. Step one, uh, relax your entire body, either through the ball of light meditation or simply by telling each of your body parts to relax, starting with your head and moving all the way down. Take a few deep breaths, just like we do in meditation, in through the nose, out through the mouth, and imagine your body encompassed by pure light. You can use white. White is common, but if you have another color that works better for you, do that. Uh, Focus on your third eye. Uh, roughly where your pineal gland is in your brain. So for all you Discordians, uh, where you get emails from the goddess Eris, uh, about an inch above your eyes in the center of your forehead. Uh, so you imagine pushing your astral self out from this point. Yeah, I've also read a few different ways of doing it over the years. One way uh, I've read is to imagine your astral body just sitting up out of your physical body. Another one was to imagine a rope dangling in front of you and imagine yourself climbing it each time you pull yourself further and further out of your body. All I could ever get from this was like a tingling vibration or like a slight electricity in my body. I never really could snap out like some people claim they can. Uh, SRW also says you may feel floaty, uh, but she warns that if you try to physically move, uh, like to brush your face, then you will have to start all over again. So once you are done, uh, she says you can just visualize yourself going back to your body. Yeah, I've also read that uh, if you tug on that silver cord that supposedly connects your astral double to your physical body, um, you'll pull yourself back in. Maybe that's, you know, just another method of, you know, programming yourself to do a thing. But, you know, if it works, it works, right? It works. Uh, SRW puts a piece I rather appreciate in at the end of this section of Solitary Witch. Uh, where she mentions the ethics of astral projection, and you shouldn't be using it to spy on people. Talking to you, federal government. Yep, all you high-level witch agents at the federal government. But of course, uh, if you want to experiment with your friends, as long as everyone consents... Consent is everything, after all. It is. That's legit. Yeah, totally. Let's see, what else? Silver Ravenwolf also mentions that the most common reason for failure with consciously directed um, out-of-body experiences 
is the fear of not being able to get back in your body or something bad happening to you while you're disconnected. So I actually experienced this uh, quite directly once, which is uh, why I wanted to save this story until now. Um, I fasted all day and I drank uh, a cold water extraction of LSA derived from about 250 morning glory seeds and four Hawaiian baby woodrose seeds. And I was laying in my bed and I realized that I could sit up out of my body. This was the only time I'd ever been able to to consciously astro project, the only time I've ever done it, never have since. And to be honest, um, I mean, I was tripping, so I was pretty out there already. I, yeah, I laid yeah. back down in myself, thought for a moment. It was probably just the drugs, right? But maybe not. I'll, I'll try and do it again. So I sat up out of my body and it happened again. And for some reason at this time, it just scared the heck out of me. I was 19 or 20 at the time. I had been trying to astral project for years, but you know, I was in a really intense psychological state and I just couldn't handle it at the time. So I went back into myself and distracted myself by, you know, doing anything else. If I'd embraced that experience, perhaps I'd have learned something or unlocked a door for myself to be able to astral project while sober, or maybe I would have just had a real fun time or, you know, maybe it was all the LSA after all. Could be. Uh, before we move on to our last topic, Silver Ravenwolf mentions a couple books for further reading on astral projection. We haven't read either of them, but if you're interested, uh, they are Flying Without a Broom by DJ Conway. And Astral Travel for Beginners by Richard Webster, the same guy that did uh, Write Your Own Magic sure. for that uh, the episode on Composing Your Own Magic we did. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's talk a bit real quick about sensory deprivation. Uh, this is the last thing we're going to really touch on in this episode. Uh, yeah. Um, so many people claim they can uh, easily enter profound states of meditation and even blast off, but which I mean, astral project in this context from a state of sensory deprivation. So, you know, most of you have probably heard of modern float tanks. They're a salt solution that keeps you floating in complete darkness and ideally silence as well, shutting out as many senses as possible and allows you to focus more of your consciousness internally and focus on your mind rather on, you know, kind of like disconnect from your body, so to speak. Have you ever had the opportunity to do this? Uh, no, but it sounds dope. It really does. Um, we have a couple places here in Portland that allow you to like pay to go do it. Quite spendy though. It is. Lots of cities have these places. It's kind of like a uh, tanning for the more spiritually inclined. Um, you can even make them yourselves if you're real crafty and have the space. Uh, someday when I have space, like my own house, hopefully, fingers crossed, I will, um, you know, I'll, I'll make one because this is something Maybe like build it out of an old refrigerator or something. Yeah, totally. Something I really want to try out uh, in Buckland's complete book of witchcraft. He describes a contraption he calls the witch's cradle, which seems like uh, a sensory deprivation combined with bondage thing, kink thing. It really uh, he, does. Yeah. But he explains that the purpose is isolating the person from their physical environment to make their physical movement all but impossible. Under these conditions, the consciousness is loosed from physical bondage and becomes free to roam beyond the physical horizon. I'm pretty sure that's bondage with extra steps. Uh, yeah, you maybe just like get into Shibari. I, I don't know. But I don't want to... Po- big book of Kinbaku, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to poo-poo this because it is, I guess, part of a spiritual tradition. It is, um, and it could work. And it could work. Know. 
I just I'm not an authority on this. I think the reason that it seems really kind of crazy or like more of a kink thing is the pictures in the book. Like the way okay. it's drawn is real like I'll describe it for you. It first yeah. of all, if you have a copy of the book, you can check it out. It's on page 107. It's a pretty intense looking device where you're completely bound in a tight uh kind of sleeping bag looking thing with a hood over your head. Um, strapped to like a gurney like thing and suspended vertically. I've been tied down once and handcuffed twice, once by a lady friend and once while getting arrested at a protest. Uh, and let me tell you, it would take a lot more trust for me to let someone put me in this contraption than it already took for a little bit of bondage play. But, you know, maybe that's the kind of relationship you have with your your coven. And if that's the case, blessed be my friend. Look, if y'all want to get together and like, tie each other up and send step sleeping bags that's hey, super cool power to you sex magic is totally a thing too like it, that even if it's not a sex thing if it's just a thing yeah that's cool yeah power that's, to you all right so this episode has left me really interested in digging back into my neuroscience and neuropsychology books from college and rereading okay. some stuff on hypnosis and the psychological impact of meditation and a number of other crossovers between brain science psychology and occult ideas so what do you think about trying to put together like um an episode uh, on that kind of stuff later on uh let's get some neurochem in there too maybe yeah yeah totally yeah i'm here for this i'm 100 on board awesome i know we're gonna do uh like a series about de- deprogramming and re-imprinting and stuff like that like much later on we've already kind of built a skeleton for that um, but we should probably do either like a side quest or a full episode about brain stuff. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Because I think reprogramming, deprogramming needs its own full episode. Uh, it's going to be, uh, I think it's the way it looks in our files. I think it's like three episodes. Yeah. Um, like it's a short There's a series. bunch of pieces of deprogramming. Yeah, and it's real long too. And we're going to have to get into like a lot of heady shit. But we hey. We love you, gentle reader. We do. We love you and we deliver you great deal of content. Before we get to our work cited, what do you want to do for the next episode? I feel like I've been driving a lot of this and I've been like, all right, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's change that. What do you feel? episode. I kind of want to do an is your magic working episode. Okay. Like what, what signs can you look for in the world? Like, hey, is my shit working? Like what's happening? Like what, what of that can we suss out and, and explore so so that you guys, as you practice, can actually look around and be like, all right, am I making any progress? Is what I'm doing actually impacting the world around me? And I want to give you guys the tools to do that because I think that's really important. If you can't mark your progress, it doesn't feel like you're making any. I fully agree. Yeah, if you can get that one started, I'd be happy to start contributing to it. Kicking I'll in. see what I can do. Dope. That might not be the next one. It might be the one after. We'll see. All right. Cool, cool. Yeah, man. With that, we're excited. Yeah, let's talk about the stuff that uh, we've cited today, which will also be posted uh, on what Facebook and Instagram. Uh, yeah, I you that know I haven't like been doing places. it on Instagram, and I said I would, so I will try and remember to do that. The uh, the first one on our list here is the Complete Psychonauts Field Manual, a cartoon guide to chaos magic by Arch Trader Blue Fluke. Buckland's Complete Book of Witchcraft by Guess Who. Raymond Buckland. The Watkins Dictionary of Magic by Neville Durrury. A Solitary Witch by Silver Raven Wolf. A Field Guide to Lucid Dreaming by, again, I'm going to butcher their names, Trucio. Zasel and Pacel. Yeah, exactly. You got it. Tuchillo 
Zazel and Pate. We're really sorry, guys. Your book is awesome. I can't pronounce your names. It is. We feel really bad. Uh, Ancient Egyptian Divination and Magic by Eleanor L. Harris. And that is our short and sweet. We're excited for this episode. It is. And so with that, uh, our purpose is done and our circle is broken. So go back to the world enriched in knowledge and alight with laughter, at least a little bit more than when we started. So mote it be. So mote it be. Price bound and done. Until next time, listeners, fools out. Yeah, dreamers, keep dreaming. We'll see you in the outer realms. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do.